Welcome everybody to, well, welcome back if this is you, if you're not your first time coming on to Purpose Driven Law. Uh, today I have Mohammed Ahmed from Kermani Law, LLP, who are out of California, Los Angeles. And um, this is kind of a part two episode to what is happening over in Gaza Um the other week, we had Dina Joseph on uh, just giving from her perspective and her side. And now I am bringing Mohammed Ahmed on the show to share what his perspective is and his side of it. And I really loved how Mo started this interview with just removing the emotion out of it because it's so true. Um, emotions really cloud, cloud a lot of logical judgment. And uh, I think you can agree, Mo, with kind of what we're seeing in the media and the news. It's that's how they play on is emotion, really intense emotion. And um, I think we can all agree that the media leaves a lot of logic out of <laughs> out of the news. Um, but we'll touch on that later down uh, in this interview today. Um, but Mo, why don't you give our guests a little bit of an introduction on? who you are, uh, what Kermani Law is, how long you've been in the legal practice for. All right. So I'm, my name is Mohammed. I'm a trial lawyer at Kermani LLP. I'm a co-founder. Uh, the name Kermani comes from my business partner and mentor, Ray Kermani, who's, who's also a badass trial lawyer out of California and Georgia. Um, Ray's licensed in probably seven other jurisdictions. I'm licensed okay. in California and Georgia, and we try cases in California and Georgia primarily. Um, I went to uh, law school with Ray at UCLA. We also went to undergrad there together. That's how we first met. And we've been working together for over 10 years, uh, trying cases together, you know, across the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love your crew that you guys have over there. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun getting to know you guys, uh, over the years. So again, thank you for coming on the show, but, um, I understand that you're over in Jerusalem. You just got there a few days ago, and that's where your family is currently, correct? Yes. So yeah. my family, for the past year and a half, my wife was born here. Uh, my kids were born in America. Uh, I was born and raised in America. My my parents were born 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now um, in the what's currently the West Bank. And about a year and a half ago, my wife and kids moved here permanently and I come back and forth. So I've spent in the last two years, about six months of my life, uh, in Israel. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Are you, does the future look like you're going to kind of move there more permanently or stick, stick in the um, United States? Well, for, for, for me, I, I'm not allowed to be here permanently. Mm -hmm. So whenever I come in, I get, uh, one of these things, which is like a three month pass, um, Your ticket. <laughs> my ticket. And technically I think the ticket is three months for the whole year. And so I, I'm, I'm careful about not violating that. So I try to limit my time in the course of the whole year to three months out of the whole year. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so why don't you take us, our listeners through 
what your perspective on what's going on currently um, in Gaza and um, kind of just to begin your your insights on the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Okay, so I'll start with just the current situation in Gaza. So the current situation in Gaza before October 7th, before the war started, uh, Gaza would get receive about 500 trucks of aid per day. That was before the war. And according to multiple gov- uh, non-government agencies like the UN, um, all the aid agencies, the Red Crescent, the Red Cross, they, they all said that was inadequate. So 500 aid trucks per day was inadequate for the humanitarian plan in Gaza. This is before the war started. Since the war, for about two weeks after the uh, October 7th, Israel banned all aid from coming in until October 21st. Since October 21st, they've allowed aid to come in. And I believe the maximum aid that's come in in any single day has been 100 aid trucks. So you can imagine that if 500 aid trucks was not enough before the war, then two weeks after the war, having no aid, and then only getting a maximum of 100 aid trucks a day, the, the situation is dire. A lot of people like to focus on the bombing, which obviously bombing is catastrophic and devastating for not just the people that experience it, but people nearby, the trauma. But And, and it, is, it is tragic, but the more devastating thing is that initially Israel stopped electricity, water, fuel, and gas from entering uh, Gaza. They they cut off two million people from water and electricity. So th- that in the, that for me was the scariest thing because if you take the strongest person alive and you deprive them of water for five days, they're likely going to die. Mm-hmm. And more more important than just starvation or dying of thirst, you need water for sewage. It's one of the things we take for granted is the toilet. Yeah. Sewage mm-hmm. is like the biggest blessing in our lives, you know, in the Western world. Without that, you, you have feces, you have disease, you have contaminated water. And so that that's really what's happening now. Now we're starting to feel the permanent effects, even in a very short period of time of that. That So that's the current situation, humanitarian situation in Gaza. And it's, it's dire. And it, and it could be permanent because you know, you, you can't go a, a month without water when before the war started, you didn't even have uh, good water, good, good sanitation. Wow. Wow. That's, that's terrible. Um, from a legal standpoint, what are, what are some key aspects of the situation in Gaza that, you know, may not be widely understood and how might legal frameworks contribute to a better understanding between where both sides are at. So, so I think on on both on both ends, you know, because I because I, I'm in Jerusalem, but I'm an American, right? I was born in America, mm-hmm. raised in America. I'm also Palestinian. I'm proud to be Palestinian. But mm-hmm. when 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 I'm here, whether it's a Jew or a, an Arab, or they know right away that I'm not from here. They know mm-hmm. that this this guy's not from around here, from around these parts, right? So they know I'm an outsider, and so. When I come here, I try to understand, I try to talk to Jewish people, I try to talk to Palestinian people, try to figure out what's going on in both circles, right? Because what we hear outside of of Israel is completely different than the discussion that happens in Israel uh, in in multiple ways. So for example, inside of Israel, 
they're much more critical of Israel, the Israeli Jews I'm talking about now, much more critical of Israel than anybody else outside of Israel. And and fortunately, they have not lost that critique. The, the, the biggest critic of the Israeli government today is probably Israeli Jews for, for their, you know, obviously their, their failure in intelligence, failing to protect the, the, you know, their citizens from the attack and whatnot. So that's a unique thing that you wouldn't necessarily understand from being outside of Israel, but being inside of Israel, you could see people are highly critical of their own government, which is good because Americans, yeah. I know, and after 9-11, everybody got behind George W. Bush and basically he could do no wrong for two to three years. Uh, and he even got reelected in part because of 9-11. And so, so Israel doesn't have that. They're, they're, they're thinking about even getting rid of their prime minister today before the war's even over. So Israel still hasn't lost that critique. Um, and I think from a, from a legal framework on the, on the Israeli side, I, I, now it's starting to come out that it, it might be possible that Israel was the one that killed some of its citizens on October 7th when they were reacting to Hamas, right? So Hamas took over uh, a warehouse or took over a house and inside of that house was 30 Israelis and, and you know, 30 kidnappers. And so Israel had to make the difficult decision to bomb the house and mm -hmm. kill, possibly kill its own citizens. Now there's conflicting reports and so it's it's undetermined, but and I, I hear some people on the anti-Israel side saying like, oh, look, Israel killed its own citizens. Well, in America, we have a framework called like felony murder which is if you commit a felony, which kidnapping obviously is a felony, right? You kidnap somebody and then the police kill that person on accident trying to kill you, the kidnapper. You as the kidnapper would be charged with murder, first degree mm -hmm. murder, even if you didn't actually pull the trigger on that person. So mm -hmm. to the extent that Hamas or the Palestinian Authority is trying to say, oh, look, Israel killed its own people. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe they killed some of their own people but from a legal perspective, that doesn't absolve the kidnapper, right? So if Hamas kidnapped an innocent civilian and that civilian got killed, even if Hamas wasn't the one that pulled the trigger, then from a legal perspective, they would still be charged. So I think we have to remember that, 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 that Hamas doesn't get away from blame because Israel pulled the trigger. Okay. So that's one, that's one aspect. The other aspect is even in a situation like that, for example, there's a bank robbery. Bank robbers take 50 hostages. Now, even if the bank robbers will be charged with murder and ultimately are responsible, the police could also be responsible if they recklessly just start bombing the, the bank. They could also be liable. So so there's th that's another aspect too is that, you know, Israel panicked a little bit. They, they were taken by surprise. And so they kind of reacted in a way that, that, they probably would regret now vis-a-vis uh, -vis its own citizens, but they just panicked and they, they were confronted with a situation they've never had before. Now on the flip side, on the Palestinian side, you hear even the prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu, saying, we've tried to avoid killing civilians. That's what he says. And he mm -hmm. says, we've been, we've been unsuccessful. So Netanyahu himself, the prime minister of Israel, who is far right, staunchly pro-Israel, defends Israel against any criticisms, believes Israel has a right to kill everybody in, in, in Hamas. Even he says, we've been unsuccessful in minimizing 
civilian casualties. And yeah. there's a concept in American law that if you, if even if you don't intend to kill somebody, intent can be by knowledge. So if I drop a bomb on a, on a house, knowing that I'm going to kill a child, that's intentional killing, even if I mm -hmm. don't intend to kill the child. And so that's another framework where if you're collectively punishing 2 million people by depriving them of water, fuel, knowing that that's going to lead to their death, then you are killing those people. And so, so on both sides of the framework, pe people kind of get stuck in the weeds. Oh, Hamas may not have been the one that pulled the trigger. That's not really relevant. If you kidnap a civilian, that civilian dies, you're responsible. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you drop a bomb because you think that there might be one terrorist and there's, you know, there's a hundred civilians, you're killing a hundred civilians and mm -hmm. you should be responsible for that. I think that's what gets kind of lost in our little technical arguments is at the end of the day, you're killing a civilian or you're causing a civilian to be killed. And that's unacceptable regardless of whether that civilian's an Arab or Jew, black, white, doesn't matter. And I think we kind of lose that in the conversation. We've, we've kind of lost all sense of, you know, a civilian is a civilian and they need to be protected. Yeah. We've lost all humanity. <laughs> Our, our humanity in this situation, I feel, um, you know, is, I have a question, is there um, any way that they're trying to get these civilians out of Gaza or are basically all borders shut down over Gaza? So that's, that's another thing that people talk about. I, I, again, it, people say, oh, why, why doesn't Egypt take them? Okay. So let, let's just show for a yeah. second that, that Egypt has the capacity Egypt, by the way, is in one of the worst crises it's ever had uh, financially. They literally don't have food. In fact, the, 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 there, there's going to be a presidential election, and the, his his mantra, the president, Sisi, who's, who's kind of like Putin, kind of like a dictator, but he's, he's running for re-election, running for re-election. His <laughs> mantra is, if progress comes at the expense of food, we should not say we'd rather eat. That's, that's his motto, you know, like... I like, I, you know, like, you know, uh, like Ronald Reagan's was, are you better now than you were four years ago? Uh, mm -hmm. his mantra is you should rather starve because we're trying to, we're, yeah, yeah, we're trying to progress. I mean, that just shows you how dire the situation is. Right. Wow. So, so, but let's assume they had the capacity to take in Palestinians. So, mm -hmm. so what people don't understand about Israel, I didn't even really understand this is that Israel's is this this um, diamond, right? It's a diamond-shaped Israel. Let's just call all of it Israel, including Gaza and including the West Bank. I know this is controversial. People get all upset about this, but let's just call it all Israel for a second. Yep. Israel controls basically 100% of that whole order, okay? Mm -hmm. With one exception, and that one exception is the Egypt-Gaza uh, border crossing, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's called the Rafah crossing. Now, what... First of all, immediately Egypt closed that crossing and Egypt and Israel work hand in hand with respect to border security. They're, they're huge allies. Netanyahu and Sisi meet all the time. So Egypt and Israel are allies for many years, right? They closed the border. In addition, Israel bombed the border crossing. So if, you know, in California we have the 10 freeway and it connects, you know, basically all of America. 
if I tell people in California, okay, uh, there's going to be a war here, go to Arizona and you have to take the 10 freeway. That's the only access route. All the other access routes closed. And then I bomb the 10 freeway. How are you physically going to leave? So, so the, the only other place to go is inside of Israel, right? There's the Egyptian border crossing and the Israeli border crossing. If you bomb the Egyptian crossing and you block the Israeli crossing, where are the people going to go? E even if Egypt had the capacity to take them, you bombed the only exit route. So I don't understand how anybody can 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 go. And this is not this is not up for debate. They they've said they bombed it multiple times, and for whatever reason they bombed it, they bombed it. It's a fact, and that means that people cannot leave. So if you tell me to leave and and you physically prevent me from leaving, where am I going to go? So that that's that's a reality. It's 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 not something that should be subject for debate. Yeah. And this is this is the situation of all of the civilians that are in Gaza currently. So yes, that's that's terrible. Um, and 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 what that's led to, right? Because the Gazans are moving. I I, I read a statistic: one point five million. One the one point. Gazans are moving oh, away from yeah. where they are. Like they're moving internally within Gaza. So one point five million have moved. And what, what ends up happening is you have entire generations, like the whole family, the entire family, like, you know, I have six brothers and sisters, and sometimes we have like a birthday party. We'll literally all get together. My sons, my nieces and nephews, literally the entire Ahmed family is all together. My parents in one home, right, for a birthday party or whatnot. So in Gaza, they've had to do that, right? They'll go with their son-in-law or their father-in-law, but literally the entire family will come together in one home and then that home will get bombed. And so literally an entire family is wiped off the face of the earth. So there's no, there's no more family, they're gone. And I think that's unique to Gaza because, because of the way the family structure is, it's been blockaded from both sides. So you, basically your whole family is gonna be in one place. You know, in, in America, it's generally your whole entire lineage is not located in one city and one home. Um, you know, for some it is like for, in my family, all of us are located within two miles of each other, but that's rare with the exception of me. I, I live hours away and my brother lives in a different state, but on occasion, our entire lineage is in one location. And if that got bombed, we'd literally be wiped off the face of the earth. And that's wow. unfortunately happening as a multiple families have been wiped off the face of the earth, which is kind of insane when you think about it. Oh yeah, that's that's mind blowing. I'm just I'm just thinking about my family. I'm like that definitely wouldn't happen. We would personally probably all kill each other if that all happened. <laughs> uh, sorry, my family, if you're listening to this, I love you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the path to peace, if there is one to think about right now. But with this current situation, the families in Gaza. Um, do you think that there's some sort of peaceful resolution and what what could we move towards to improve the overall situation in the region? Look, so I, I think that there's actually a very simple and easy path to peace. Uh, and if you listen to the Palestinians, you know, sometimes inartfully, but when they say things like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, whatnot, what they're, what they're basically yeah. saying, what they're basically asking for, and that, that, People get all wired about that. It, I think it's just a miscommunication. What they're basically asking for is saying, like, look, 
in that diamond, right? Everybody should have equal rights. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, J- Jews already have rights in that diamond, right? If you're an Israeli Jew, generally, if you're not a minority, you know, black Jews and, you know, non white Jews, that, that they're treated a little bit differently. But just generally speaking, if you're a Jew within that diamond, you have good rights wherever you are in that diamond. There's no, currently, there's no Jews in the, in the Gaza. There were before 2005. They got left, but there's settlers in the Palestinian area here. So in this diamond, there's the West Bank here. There's Gaza right here. There's there's a bunch of uh, 450,000 settler Jewish settlers in what's called Area C. They all have rights. So what the Palestinians are asking for is just give everybody rights. And they don't. It, they have different rights. Yeah, everybody has different rights. Yeah. So it's 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 very tiered, right? So if you're in Gaza. So Gaza is like the lowest rights. You have the lowest rights. Okay. So in Gaza, you're blockaded from Egypt and you're blockaded from, from Israel. And that's actually one of the ways that Hamas makes money is through the tunnels, they smuggle in products and then they charge a tax on that smuggling because they're blockaded from both ends. So, uh, so the people of Gaza, they, they're heavily, heavily restricted. It's hard to get in, in Gaza and out of Gaza. Very hard. Okay. Now that they're the bottom of the Palestinian rights. If you look at Palestinian people, they're the bottom of their rights. The next level up is the people living in the West Bank, which is my family, my parents' family. They live in the West Bank. They're not allowed to come to Jerusalem. They're not allowed to come to Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is inside of Israel, as a matter of fact, right? East Jerusalem is disputed, but as a matter of fact, there is no Palestinian police here. I live in East Jerusalem right now. I'm right next to the mosque. There's, There's no Palestinian authority here. There's no Hamas. There's no Palestinian authority. There's no Palestinian police. There's no mm-hmm. Palestinian government. It's all Israel. All right. And even though it's disputed, it's as a matter of fact, it's Israel. So, so within Israel, there's a wall that separates us from the West Bank. Mm-hmm. I'm able to go through because I have this ticket right here. And I have to carry this around everywhere, by the way. Right, I have to carry around my passport and my ticket as as an Arab. I have to carry this around. If I don't have this, I can get arrested. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so, um, if I was a Jew, I wouldn't have to carry this around. Fortunately, sometimes they think I'm Jewish, and so they don't ask me for it. Um, and so, so that, which is another funny thing about the conflict is that if you walked around, you wouldn't be able to really tell who's an Arab and who's a Jew because we live amongst each other. There's Jews right here, right next to me, up the street. Um, I see Jews all the time. When I walk into the Arab stores, they think I'm Jewish mm-hmm. and they, they, they speak Hebrew to me and I'm like, dude, English, you know? And, yeah. and when I, yeah, when I try I'm to speak American. Arabic, yeah. When I, when I try to speak Arabic to them, they're like, you're not from here. They know, yeah. they, they know, they know this place is big, but it's also small. So everybody kind of knows everybody by family. So mm-hmm. you have the West Bank people. They're only allowed to stay in the West Bank. They can go to Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, they can apply for permission to come to Israel, but it's rarely given. So for example, my grandma, who's been here for, she was born before the state of Israel. She was, mm-hmm. she passed uh, this year, but she was 80, 86 years old when I got married in 2014. And I'm sorry to she, that. no, thank you. She lived a long life. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, you know, and she was suffering at the end. So, you know, it, it was merciful for her to pass, but when I got married in 2014, she was like 86 years old. She wasn't able to come to my wedding, my um, my uh, my wedding ceremony, which is when they 
uh, inside the mosque here in Jerusalem. They literally detained her at the wall and said, you can't come here. And they almost arrested my brother for bringing her. She's 86 years old. So that's the West Bank, right? So they have some freedom of movement, but not, not as much. The next level, so you have Gaza on the bottom, then you have West Bank Palestinians, then you have uh, people like my wife, who's a Jerusalem resident. And that's like the equivalent in America of having like a green card. So you have access to Jerusalem, you have access to all of Israel, and you can go back and forth between West Bank and and Jerusalem, but it's restricted. Like So for example, now, one of the reasons I came back here is because in order for my wife and kids, even though they're Americans, to leave Israel safely, they have to get permission from the government. And the government is closed for Arabs. So for the past month and a half, the Israeli government offices are closed to Arabs in, in Jerusalem. And so my kids can't get permission, even though they're born and raised in America, they can't get permission to leave here. Right. So when people tell me that there's no apartheid, I'm like, look, dude, there's no emotion here. My kids can't get out of Israel right now. Yeah. So I'm not faking this. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fly across, you know, I had to go to Dubai and go to Jordan and come here. It was a horrible travel to get here. I didn't do that for fun. I don't do that for fun, you know? So that's then the Jerusalem. And then there's the Arab citizens, they're actual citizens of Israel and they're Arabs. And there's Bedouins, there's Christians, there's Druze, which is kind of like a, a different uh, religion. And they have citizenship. Some of them serve in the military. Some of them have positions. Some of them serve in the, in the government, but they're, they're, they're not, they're not treated the same as, as Jews, Israeli Jews. Right. And so, uh, anybody who says, oh, it's not an apartheid come, come take a, uh, uh, you know, take a, a passport or whatnot of an Arab and try to go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not going to get the same treatment. And now even this, this Arab Israeli, she had posts like saying, I hope Israel's victorious and all that, but she also liked the post calling for a ceasefire, which by the way, Jews in Israel are calling for. She liked the post and they said, you're supporting terrorism and they arrested her. So it, it, it it's, there's different yeah. treatment for different people in Israel. Uh -huh. And, and, and I tell my friends, look, I like Israel. I, I, th I think honestly, I, I'm not just saying this. I think Israel is the best country in the middle East. When you, when you, if you take away the whole Arab, the way they treat the Palestinians, set that aside for a second, Israel separate and apart from the way they treat the Palestinians is I think a model country. They have mm -hmm. good, uh, citizen participation. People are patriotic. I mean, when, when the war broke out, hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the world came uh, mm -hmm. to fight and defend Israel. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they had like a 150% response rate. So people that weren't even required to come came. Um, yeah. and, they, and, they, and they came despite the fact that all the airlines basically shut down the routes. Like when I was coming here, I came here. This is the second time I've been here since the war started. Mm -hmm. When I tried to come here, in the middle of my flight, they canceled a uh, flight from England. And so they rerouted me in the middle of my flight. They like said, oh, your, your flight to your trip to Germany. I was like, I'm not going to Germany. I'm going to Tel Aviv. They canceled all the flights despite that the Israelis came. So they're a very patriotic country, uh, very critical of their own government. Like Netanyahu is currently under criminal charges for yeah. 
so 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 but that's, but that's reflective that's reflective yeah. of a democracy right when you can mm-hmm. imprison your own leader you can never do that in the middle east you can never do that to the arab leaders you know yeah. yes so so i'm not the one that, i'm not a one that's going to criticize israel 100 percent. i'm, I'm going to tell it how it is it's a great country it's a beautiful country it has a a very ugly starting point right mm-hmm. killed a lot of people to start yeah fighting for for a hundred years even jews killing jews it, it, it you know the founding story is obviously like you know people wash you know kind of say oh what a beautiful founding story it's, it's not a beautiful founding story if you look at the whole picture no country other... is found on yeah. a beautiful story yeah exactly and so and so yeah. so you just have to take the emotion out of it and just uh do it and I, and I like to read the Israeli military archives and listen to Israeli soldiers who founded the country and they're pretty brutal I don't know if they're old and they just don't care but they'll they'll say like we raped people we killed people we killed kids we we would have wiped out a whole school if we saw one we were brutal because we had to be you know mm-hmm. and and so you just have to be honest about it yeah yeah um Wow, this has been very eye-opening, and thank you for going into details and explaining everything. I am learning a lot currently, so thank you. Yeah, and so so the solution would be, look, mm-hmm. here, here's the thing, right? People have to understand what what uh, what Israel is and what they want, right? Israel is a safe place for Jewish people, right? Because this world, quite frankly, has been horrendous to Jewish people throughout history, right? And yeah. when you're a minority, no one's gonna take care of you. You gotta take care of yourself, right? And yeah. so yeah. so Jewish people in Israel have a legitimate, they have a legitimate rational fear of extinction, right? Mm-hmm. Now, having been in Israel and having seen Israel's power, I don't think anybody can take out Israel, right? I think Jews in Israel are protected, generally speaking. Obviously they got, you know, the massacre that happened, you know, 1200 people got killed Mm-hmm. About a thousand civilians got killed, so that that shook Israel to its core, right? Um, so I understand that, but in terms of there's there's over seven seven million Jews in Israel, they're not going anywhere, right? They're they'll they'll fight to the death, and I think in Israel they're protected. I think in America they might be they're protected. I think Jews other places in the world may not be protected, right? The world is a crazy place. There's a lot of anti-Semitism. So I understand what Jews want is they want safety net. And I think Israel can be that safety net. But it doesn't have to be the exclu- to the exclusion of providing a safety net for Palestinians. And what you can have is you can have a Jewish homeland. You can create a constitution. Israel doesn't have one right now. They don't have an official constitution. They can create a constitution that says, look, this is a safe homeland for Jews where any Jew across the world can come here safely at any time forever. And you can't change that constitution without, you know, three fourths of Jews, Jewish citizens voting, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just like in America, why is Iowa popular, and why is all these states that are, you know, California is basically irrelevant when it comes to the presidential election, even though California is the most populous state, the most economically powerful state, it's a country by itself in terms of its economic prowess. But on the presidential level, it's it's basically irrelevant as a because it doesn't vote early in the primaries and whatnot well we have a constitution that protects the smaller states you need 
two thirds or three fourths of the of the states to ratify any amendments to the constitution. You could do the same thing in Israel with with Jewish vote. You can say you need seventy five percent Jewish vote to change the constitution of the country, and so that way they don't have to worry about the seven million Palestinians that are in the whole area. Right? There's about yeah. seven million Jews and seven million Palestinians in the whole area, and mm -hmm. so you can make one state administered by Israel for everybody, and you can protect. There, there's plenty of space here. Yeah. There's plenty of space for everybody. This is a small country, but there's plenty of space. Like I just drove two days ago to get here through an area of land that was completely unpopulated, like dozens of miles of just yeah. empty space that could easily you know, be populated. And then what you would do is that would be step one. Step two is you would make the whole Middle East kind of like the European Union. So a Jew in Israel can travel from Morocco to Yemen without any worry for safety or whatnot. You can make the whole area peaceful. And Iran has already said they would make peace with Israel so long as the Palestinian peace issue is done. So I think mm -hmm. there is a path to peace. I think before October 7th, it could have even been done with with Hamas. Since October 7th, obviously, I don't think Hamas is, is, is viable. I don't think the Israelis, um, and understandably so, would, would tolerate a, a situation with Hamas. So but you don't need Hamas involved. You don't need the Palestinian Authority involved. It can be all Israel. And that's basically how how it is now. Arabs and Jews live together in Israel, all over Israel. There's millions of Arabs here. They generally don't fight. There's it's generally safe. You don't need you don't need this belligerent, always at war mentality. It's 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 not necessary. I've I've read the Hamas Treaty. And do you think that the Hamas Treaty, because of what's outlined in there, do you think the majority of Palestinians truly believe the Hamas Treaty and to the extent that it goes? And okay, so, so, so I think, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. How, and if so, how does that create a unified country, though? Because okay. for, from my understanding, I've read explicitly that they want death to even Christians and Jews. Okay, so so, so I, I think what you're talking about is the Hamas founding charter in 1987. Is, is that yes. what you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay, so 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 a couple of things, right? So that's been the that was the Hamas founding charter in 1987. Again, when it comes to Palestinians, they just want basic rights. There's two. They just want Arabs. peace. This is yeah. what that's exactly what I'm understanding from this conversation, which yeah. is yes, which is something that like I know to my core that just humans want is respect, value, peace, and love. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 I think that's why it's it. You know, obviously, what I'm asking on October seventh to call them irrelevant would be hard to stomach, but they're generally speaking. They're irrelevant. If you if you actually look at it, they're, they're an irrelevant um, piece of the pie. Even the Palestinian Authority is completely irrelevant. If you look at the numbers, in yeah, terms okay. of if in terms of their uh, tomorrow, Palestinians would accept uh, a one state solution that gave everybody rights, freedom of movement, mm. peace. They would accept that tomorrow. And, mm -hmm. and it, but if we're talking about Hamas, again, I, again, because of what happened on October 7th, I don't think Hamas is a viable partner. I never really understood 
Israel's relationship with Hamas. I mean, they're trying. You're saying, Ham- yeah, you're saying Hamas and Bal- sorry to cut you off. I have ADD brain, and so don't ask. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so if you're saying Hamas and Palestinians are two kind of separate buckets. Is that what I'm understanding? The it, the I, Palestinian I, people. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we, and we can talk about Hamas and their charter and whatnot, right? But yeah. as a matter of fact, Hamas, before October 7th, right? Because right now, according to Israel, uh, Defense Minister Hamas has lost control of Gaza. That's what Israel is saying right now. So before October 7th, Hamas was the official government of the Palestinian people in Gaza, which is 2 million people uh, in Gaza, okay? So, so they were the government of, of Gaza. Now, in 1987, Hamas came up with that charter. Israel, Israel loaded Hamas in 1987 and made it a policy to promote Hamas in order to basically make the Palestinian Authority, which at that time was Yasser Arafat, weaker. So it, Israel has this complicated relationship with Hamas. But let, let's let's take Hamas now. 1987, they have this charter. Two, fast forward to 2006, they come into power in Gaza through elections. They come into power, and part of the, the main reason for that was the Palestinian Authority, which is supported by Israel at that time, was very corrupt, and they still are corrupt. Mm-hmm. They come into power in 2006. Hamas did not adopt their charter as their governing document. Okay, so they have this charter. It says some nasty things. They don't adopt it. Okay. So even in 2006, they don't adopt it. In 2010, their prime minister, Ismail Haniya, publicly says, we will uh, accept the, uh, 2000, uh, the 1967 borders. So that their Hamas's proposal is actually weaker than a one state solution that gives rights to everybody. They want a two state solution where, where Palestinians are relegated to the Gaza Strip. And the West Bank, mm-hmm. and then in 2017, Hamas revised its charter. They revised their charter, and that's why when you when you hear, and this is important, when you when you watch people on TV and you hear them talking, you you'll hear the Israeli government officials. They always talk about the founding charter. Why do they talk about the founding charter? Because Hamas revised their charter. Hamas did not adopt their their charter in 2006. And listen, I'm not I'm not defending Hamas. My solution is put Hamas to the side and put the Palestinian Authority aside and have Israel govern the whole thing. Okay. So, so I'm not defending them. I'm not critiquing them as a government for setting, setting aside October 7th, right? What I'm just telling it how it is, their charter is basically irrelevant to how they've governed and they revised their charter, right? And in 2019, Netanyahu was saying, we need to promote Hamas because if we do that, then then they'll attack and we'll have a reason to keep kind of the war machine going. So I actually think Hamas politically hurts, that the existence of Hamas politically hurts the Palestinians because it gives Israeli, the right-wing Israelis that want war, an excuse for war. Nobody's going to disagree with Israel bombing Gaza after what happened on October 7th. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. the question is, why didn't they bomb Hamas before that, right? Uh, according to the IDF government, the, I'm sorry, the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force, they said, okay, so uh, in America and in Israel, 
Hamas is considered a terrorist organization. Okay, mm -hmm. this is Israel and, and and America. Right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm just stating actual facts. Israel facts. Yeah. Considers Hamas a terrorist organization. They've considered them a terrorist organization for many decades, and so has the U.S. Before October seventh, the IDF said we saw Hamas drilling, practicing drills to attack us. But we thought it was just a drill. Now, if you think an organization is a terrorist organization that is committed to killing every single Jew in Israel, practicing to kill, how do you let that happen? Yeah. Right? Imagine bin what does that even mean? Yeah, imagine if bin Laden is in Santa Monica, right? Because again, that's triangle. Israel has control. Israel controls the water, the airspace, the electricity, the surveillance, the telecommunications. And they admit, they said, we saw them practicing to drill. So if you call them a terrorist organization in your own words, and they're practicing to kill your people, how are they even allowed to practice? Israel could easily strike them, easily. Even on day one, on October 7th, while Israel was still fighting Hamas on the Israeli side, they were bombing Hamas on the Gaza side. So on day one, they were bombing Hamas. They have the capacity to bomb. It, it, Israel's air force and bombing capacity is very high. They yeah. dropped more yeah. bombs on day one than they have probably in the combined history of Israel. I so, understand that their military is like... Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very... Notch. Yeah, it's a very yeah. prolific military. And according to U.S. estimates, again, this is U.S. estimates, I I, I don't know... I, I'm. I'm not there. I don't know. I don't, I'm not connected with anybody in Hamas. According to U.S. estimates, the Hamas military budget is between $100 million and $350 million per year. Israel spends that in a day, less than a day, uh, and it's ruined. And, and, and last year, Israel's military budget was $23 billion. Yeah. So listen, on that day, on October 7th, it was a surprise attack. Hamas came with overwhelming numbers. They, they just butchered a bunch of people. And so that day, Israel lost more people than I think in the history of, of Israel's ever suffered on one day. They lost 300 something soldiers, which is, mm -hmm. which is insane. Um, you know, it's easy to kill a civilian, but to kill a soldier, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult, especially they have helicopters, they have drones, they have air force, they have everything. And they got taken by surprise. But outside of that, since that day on October 7th, in the 50 days of war that they've had, right? They've lost 60 soldiers, about 60, 65 soldiers, right? And that's normally what happens, right? Israel doesn't really lose that many soldiers. It's a disproportionate amount. Uh, when it comes to military, this would be like putting Mike Tyson up against a, a preschooler, right? The, the, there's no comparison in terms of their military capacity. I mean, that's why when you look at Hamas interviews, the guy's always covered. Right. Why are you covered if you're a strong military? You don't need to cover yourself, right? You can come out because they're hiding, right? So in yeah. terms of military, they're not even on the same playing field. They're not even in the same universe. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say Hamas is irrelevant. Obviously, to the people that got killed on October 7th, they're not irrelevant. To the people that have you know, uh, died from a, a rocket strike, they're not irrelevant. I, I don't mean to minimize that, but I'm just talking about in terms of a global solution going forward. Yeah. They are irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's very, very interesting. Um,
and to pull everything in context and put all the puzzle pieces together, it's making a, a much more understandable picture. Like from what I'm hearing from you is that these Palestinian people, people who live in Gaza, are literally living in the worst conditions. They have the lowest rights and all that they want is to live in unity. And I I agree with you with your approach to this peace thing. You know, everybody should be on an equal playing field when it comes to rights. Um, I think us in North America have been very blessed and, um, you know, to be able to not only be born like i'm from canada like born into a, a a country that you know does treat everybody with the same rights and the um and same with the united states like i think a lot of us don't recognize that and take it for granted so this has been uh, a very refreshing conversation and just eye-opening and it brings you down to humble level so thank you um, yeah. when it, when it comes to the role, or did you want to add anything? Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. Um, what role do you think the international community should be playing in addressing the challenges faced by the people in Gaza, the Palestinians, and, you know, how might this contribute to a more peaceful future? So, so I think the, the good thing. The good thing is, uh, for 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 Israel and for peace is is that most of the world is is clearly pro-Israel, right? I, I don't think Israel will ever think that the United States is against Israel or mm-hmm. France or um, England or Germany, right? And so, I, I think those countries can come to Israel and say, "Look, we have your back. We're going to protect you." But look, you've you've been through something that you haven't even been through since the Holocaust. So take a step back and let us jump in. Let's get the hostages and then let's let, let's clean this this situation up. Right. I think that the European countries in the West are a large reason why Middle East is in the situation that it is today, uh, including in Israel. And so I think that if they stepped in, they they could they they could bring peace. Pretty much overnight. I think the Israeli people definitely want peace. If you ask the Israeli people, you ask yeah. the Palestinian people, e- even in America, right? We have Biden and we have pr- President Biden and President Trump, right? And th- those guys are polar opposites, right? The, one of them is right, one of them is wrong, right? But but if you ask the people in America what they think about certain issues, we're pretty much, you'll get 60% agreement on most issues, even abortion, education, uh, corruption, voting. But for whatever reason, we don't get that in the government, right? And so I think I think if the if the world wants peace, they can have peace easily. The Israelis want peace, the Palestinians want peace. They're just they just don't know how to how to get it. And they're being led by people that are pushing them towards war. And it's mm-hmm. it's easy to be pushed towards war in this situation, right? If you're a family that just got your, you saw your neighbors in Gaza just got completely wiped out, or if you, on October seventh, your friends got killed. I heard even people that that their kids got um, kidnapped, Israelis, said, "Look, 
don't don't wait just go kill hamas and they're like well you care about you know what about your own wife and kids and he's like like i do want my wife and kids but like kill hamas right and so that's understandable it's understandable to just to to want physical revenge on people and that's where the rest of the world has to step in and say okay let's 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 protect let's protect israel let's protect uh, the Palestinian people, and let's protect peace going forward. And that's what's been lost in the initial days of the war. Israel, uh, the U.S. and Europe and all them, they came to Netanyahu and they said, we're not going to put any restrictions on you, right? And obviously, e even if Netanyahu was a good person, if you don't put restrictions on somebody who's just been through the worst catastrophe they've ever suffered in their life, they're going to unleash hell. And that's what he did. And then once he unleashed hell, the world came to him and said, what are you doing? And, and it's it's almost like you you watch the le world leaders and you're like, are you schizophrenic? You just told them go bomb the hell out of these people, and then when they did bomb the hell out of people, you said, why'd you bomb them? Like, I, I don't necessarily blame Israel 100 percent for this, right? The world the world kind of failed Israel. In that moment, if you're a good friend, you're going to hold your friend back from doing something that he's going to regret. The yeah. didn't do that. They gave Israel a blank check, literally and figuratively. They gave him 22 billion dollars. Like almost overnight, yeah. and then they said, "Go, go hunting." You know, so, so the world has to step in and be the voice of reason and also the voice of progress. And they can do that. There can easily be peace in the Middle East, not just in Israel, but in the entire Middle East. It, it would be an easy, easy thing, especially now since Saudi and Iran, before this whole thing happened, came to some sort of peace agreement. I, that was the most shocking thing that I've ever seen in the last ten years. It's not that not not the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords is not shocking. Saudi and Israel are friends. Saudi and the UAE are friends. They they've they've have a financial relationship. That's not a big deal. But for is Saudi and Iran to be friendly, and for Israel and Iran to be friendly, that would make headlines. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It it sounds like you know, like I mentioned before, there's just a lot of ignorance, especially in the media and to like what is truth what is fact what's headlines um but i've always said that you know it's such a small <clears throat> such a such a small group of people and their motives control the outcome of the majority and it's so sad the majority just want peace the majority want that unity but because of what these small controlling groups want and their agenda, we all have to suffer for it. And that's what, you know, is, is going on here. Um, yeah, it, it happens here too, by the way. So what, what's yeah. interesting is when, when I, cause. Oh, the, it happens everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and the, the, the media kind of keeps the sides away from each other a little bit. <laughs> For example, when I come to Tel Aviv, so sometimes I come to Tel Aviv, sometimes I come through the Jordan crossing because even though my wife was born here, she's sometimes prevented from using the Tel Aviv airport as a Jerusalem citizen. And me as somebody that wasn't born here, because I only have an American passport, I'm able to use the Israeli airport all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, except for this time, I use the Jordan crossing because uh, flight situations like a lot of airlines canceled all their flights to Israel so it's very hard to get a flight to Tel Aviv so I, I got to Jordan this time but when I come to Tel Aviv and I come outside 
I can't tell who's a Jewish taxi or who's an Arab taxi. Tel Aviv is more progressive. It's more liberal. And the Arabs and Jews kind of mingle. Uh, they intermix more. And they can't tell what I am. So the, the Jewish taxi will come up to me. I don't know that he's Jewish. He doesn't know that I'm not Jewish. And he'll say, where are you going? I say, I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, all right, 400 shekels. We agree on a price. He said, let's go. We get in the car. He goes, where exactly are you going? I say, East Jerusalem. He stops his car and he says, I can't go there. Uh, they're going to kill me. The Arabs will kill me. And and I start I start laughing. I don't try to argue with them, though. Like, I don't try to say, no, they're not going to kill you. I say, because I realize that he has a legitimate fear, even though it's irrational. In his head, he's convinced himself that if he goes to Jerusalem, which is, by the way, controlled 100% by Israel, but he doesn't know that because he's in Tel Aviv, even though it's only about 45 minutes away, the media in, in Israel separates people, right? That Jews in Israel, Tel Aviv are different from the Jews in Jerusalem. He thinks he's going to get killed. And so I don't even try to tell him, no, you're not going to get killed. I yeah. just tell him, okay, how are they going to know that you're Arab, right? Or that you're yeah. Jewish, That right? So Because I, I know that this guy, he's there's no way I'm going to convince him that he's not going to get killed by an Arab. So I, so I mm-hmm. just take that for granted. I say, how are they going to know that you're not an Arab? Right, because I'm just trying to get to East Jerusalem. I'm like, dude, I need yeah. to convince this guy somehow. Right? He's like, they're gonna know that that I'm Jewish because my license plate is yellow. Okay. Now in Israel, the license plates are yellow. By the way, there are no non-yellow license plates in Jerusalem. You're not allowed to enter Jerusalem unless you have a yellow license plate. He doesn't know that. He thinks that Jerusalem is controlled by the Palestinians. It's not. And the reason he thinks that is, the reason he thinks that is because in his newspaper, they'll show like riots and protests. And even me, when I saw the picture in the newspaper, I thought it was Hamas riot in Jerusalem. It's not, they're not, they're not here. They're not here. And so I told him, I told him, look, all the license plates are yellow. There's taxis all the, everywhere. And there's a Jewish settlement right next to me. They're not going to know that you're you're uh, Jewish. And so he comes and he's like terrified thinking that I'm either going to kidnap him or whatever. But every time I get a Jewish taxi driver in Tel Aviv, it's the same uh, wow. fear that they have. They they have a legitimate fear that they're going to get killed and it couldn't be further from the truth. And so yeah. I think the populace is paralyzed by fear, but they still want peace and peace is, is around the corner. Even with Hamas before October 7th, 99% of the time there was peace. That's one of the reasons Israel says we we got we got caught with our pants down is because Hamas and us we had uh, in fact Hamas and Israel coordinated to attack another militant group in Gaza before this and so so even with Hamas Israel coordinated so if there could be peace with Hamas there can be peace with everybody Hamas yeah. is going to be gone soon so th- there can definitely be peace with the Palestinians and. And I also say this, look at Germany, right? Germany committed the worst atrocity ever committed against Jews, and they're the best ally with Israel. So if you can be allies with Germany, if Israel and Germany can be allies, there's no countries in the world that can't forge a peace in the future. Well, I think that's a beautiful way how to end this and just put a bow on on the present. So... Um, yeah, we've been at this for an hour. So thank you so much, Mo. This was amazing. I really appreciate your time and diving in deeper into um, 
what facts are and what this whole story and this puzzle piece looks like. Um, so with that being said, I will let you get back to your family and enjoy your time in Jerusalem. And hopefully we will see you soon. I don't know if I'll see you at the next conference sometime this year, but definitely next. So, All right. Take care. Yeah. Yes, of course. Thank you.